0: This is Hal Hester, Lead Pastor of Vine Life, and this is our podcast, The Empowered Word. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on what God is doing in your life. Please enjoy the message. All right, good morning. Good to see you this morning. Looking around, seeing some faces I haven't seen in a little while. That's cool. Very cool. Good to see you. Gosh. Alright, well this morning we are in chapter 8 of Romans, so welcome to chapter 8. You know, as we have been going through this series, we've been talking about what it means to be transformed people of God by the power of the Holy Spirit and, and how that unfolds in our life so that it moves from you know, this kind of uh, oughtness, uh, this expectation, to uh, us being able to walk through and experience the power of the Spirit in our lives, and it truly being transformational, us growing in our knowledge, our understanding so that we can know and to do the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now as we've been talking about that, uh, we broke the letter down into basically four sections. Uh, that first four chapters. Um, really talking to us about the the creation and how uh, the, the revelation of who God is that comes to us through creation but also the problem in, in the fall and how that creation has been exploited by sin and death, how that uh, falls out and, and the, the repercussions of that, bringing us to the point of the understanding that we need to be new creatures in Christ, that we are needing to be uh, reformed, renewed, reborn. And so in that, uh, the next few chapters, chapters five through eight, really focus on what does it mean to be a new creation and so uh, we've been looking at we even like it there in chapter 5 we saw the tension between those things of of how that the Spirit of God within us but the desires and the passions of the flesh and how those wage war against us and and how we're working through those things how that actually works out in terms of the transformative experience and, uh, and crescendos if you will there in chapter 8 telling us the heart cry of creation, the entire cosmos, longing for the day in which it will be revealed, the sons of God, establishing the the new creation, what it's to be like. And so here we are uh, at that point uh, that we're going to start talking about today. Uh, There's a lot to unpack there, so we're going to be here for uh, a few weeks. And then chapters uh, 9 through 11 you know really focus us on uh, the, the process uh, leading to that next uh, kind of uh, exclamation point you if you will uh, the opening of chapter 12 what does transformation look like and then the letter just from there kind of wraps up drawing all the loose ends together puts all the pieces together looking forward to that as well but if you have been here you know at vine life for any amount of time you know that I am constantly, you know, uh, talking about reminding you, maybe harping—is that too strong—about um, the importance of context. You know that we that we keep things together in their context uh, and how, you know, important that is. That we don't just simply pull verses out of their context because you can say a lot with a single verse by pulling it out of context. Um, in fact. Can I just tell you that one of the 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 things that I just always concerns me is when people build an entire doctrine on one verse pulled out of its context. Can I just tell you that probably one uh, the the, you know the most uh, popular series of books ever written were written based on one verse pulled out of context. Been one of the biggest sellers in all of Christian history. And so uh, I can just tell you that, you know, it's really critical that you and I hold things together in the big picture so that we don't end up doing something that looks like and smells a lot like Christianity, but is actually another gospel. Hello? Just, you know, might be a reason we were warned about that. Maybe. Or, you know, Paul's just being hypersensitive. not so apparently the Apostle Paul was also very concerned about context because as you and I look at this letter to the Romans and we you know kind of get a picture of that outline what you and I begin to realize is that the overview of the letter is actually an overview of the entire of, of christian witness of, of the entirety of the scripture it is bringing together he's, he's painting a picture for us of everything from genesis 1 To the great and final day when we will stand before the Lord is being brought together right here in this letter to the Romans he is outlining the entire expectation he's he's lying out the entire cosmology of what God has been up to and so we open up with that discussion uh, from Genesis 1 the good creation we walk through the fall uh, and how that plays out and what the impact of the fall was that leads us to this understanding understanding of how God is solving that, uh, that how God is faithful to do exactly what he promised there in Genesis 3, as he brings us to Abraham. And through Abraham, he begins to explain to us what faith is all about and how it expresses itself, what real righteousness is versus the legalistic righteousness that had captured the hearts and minds of the people of God for literally for centuries, uh, and taken them astray from the primary mission of the kingdom, where everything began uh, turned from being faithful to God to worrying about trying to keep land and actually losing their focus at what it meant to be, the city on the hill, a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, and so Paul is drawing us back in and brings us to the point of Abraham and begins that discussion of what does it mean to be children of Abraham by faith. He then takes us from the being children of Abraham and shows us how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all those promises made back there in Genesis chapter three. In other words, it's like he's holding the whole Bible together, kind of crazy. Like, I don't know, a word comes to mind context that there has to be context otherwise we extrapolate things and we make conclusions that actually have nothing to do with the Bible we might end up teaching things like God was this cranky guy in the Old Testament and then he got saved and became a Christian in the New Testament and that we have a completely different story than the one that began in Genesis which is called heresy so we have this Holding together just right here in the book of uh, in the letter of Romans And now we're going from Jesus to the inauguration of the kingdom and from the inauguration of the kingdom to the final judgment Which includes the full revelation of his kingdom and of course the full revelation of the new creation today as we look here in chapter 8 this chapter is loaded theologically it brings all of chapters one to seven together, and then lays out the expectation of what's going to lead us all the way to chapter 12, to end the book, and even to the end of all eternity. So it is really a critical point in the book. This is what we'd say is the the apex. It is the point. It is the reason that the letter was written uh, is about these things. And then chapter 12 gives us the theme of how that's all being addressed. But right here at chapter eight, It's holding the letter together. It is not only the midpoint in terms of just content, uh, but it is the midpoint theologically and everything else queuing us up for how he's going to solve everything. So if you thought that Romans then was an overview of the entire Bible, uh, as I was explaining there, well then chapter 8 in itself is an overview of the letter. I think in part it's because he's trying to help his leaders, his readers, follow through. Remember, I told you that when this was first read, it wasn't read like, you know, well, we're going to cover chapter one of the letter today, uh, you know, and then next week come back and we'll read chapter two of the letter, right? So that when they gathered together. The letter was written to them and did not need further explanation, didn't need to be preached and articulated and explained, well, back in the first century this, and they, because they were in the first century. They didn't have to say, well, Jews think this and, and former Gentiles think that because they were the Jews and the Gentiles in the room, right? So they were having this letter read, and yet, here's the reality, it's 16 chapters. Now, you guys, you know, like... I read one chapter and everybody kind of goes, Wow, that's a lot of reading. They read 16 chapters beginning to end and kept everybody's attention. Clearly, not in an age of YouTube. So, um, and, 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 and here's the thing I think that, that was, this is done intentionally here in chapter 8 because by this point in time, in the thing, people will be going, Well, I have the attention of a squirrel or a gnat. Gnat. and uh, you know I don't know what to do and so I, I think it's very intentional but here's the thing is it's going to lay out everything we're going to do from here and so it holds his entire train of thought together at the midpoint so that we don't lose all the strands and the things that are being woven together might seem a bit redundant to some of you uh, although my bet is is because most of us did grow up you know are part of the YouTube generation that this will be very helpful With that said, let's dive in. Romans chapter 8, if you're using a phone or tablet, please set those to silent. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Please follow along in whatever translation you have. Of course, the one in your lap is my favorite. Let's go. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, the spirit of life, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, for anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and He searches the hearts and knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together For good, for those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things then? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? For it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Blessed be the reading of God's holy word. All right, long chapter, long chapter, right? And so, obviously, just right up from the front, if you're wondering, no, we are not gonna get through this chapter today. In fact, I'm, I'm just telling you, we'll probably be here for a few weeks. There's just so much to unpack. We open the chapter with another therefore. If you were here for previous weeks, you remember me saying we have to figure out what the therefore is therefore if we're to understand where he's leading because he is building on presuppositions from previous material. Now typically, uh, when we do that, uh, we, we, we're looking just at the previous chapter or the previous paragraph or something like that. In this case, this is where the letter starts to get a little more complex. Uh, this is why you know, the apostle Peter said in his letter about the writings of Paul that ignorant and unste- and stable people distort the writings of Paul to their own destruction. He says that Paul talks about some really heady, some very complex things, and part of it is, is that Paul writes in such a way uh, that sometimes we lose his train of thought because he goes on long, 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 long thoughts, and then he goes, and, and based on all that, this, and we go, and we grab the this, and we ignore everything that led to that and make erroneous conclusions, not good, not good. I'm going to have to have a discussion with Paul about that, you know, you should have taken Margie's English class, that's what, <laughs> that's what I get from it, so, anyhow, alright, well, the reality is, is that the therefore here is drawing back from Romans chapter 5. Now, if you were with us uh, for Romans chapter 5, we were talking about the whole reality of Adam and Christ and the contrast that through one man's sin came death to all, but through the one man's uh, life came the salvation of many, uh, the transgression and the, and the rescue are not the same, that they are significantly different. And so eventually that, that whole kind of analogy breaks down, right? You don't want to overstress the analogy. You don't want to push it too far. But he's pointing to the fact that the, the, they're actually quite contrasting. They're significantly different from one another, even though they have a similar point of reference that one is responding to the other. So he's making this point that through Adam, condemnation came, through Messiah comes the hope of the nations. And so for all who were under the condemnation of Adam, which is 100%, everyone was under the condemnation of Adam, all of those who pursue relationship, covenant, right? All who pursue righteousness, remember it's right relationship, not right actions primarily. Actions follow the right relationship. All who are in pursuit of that, uh, then these things are no longer the burden. Uh, it's no longer about the working between those two things, but we stand now in this new place of righteousness because we're in right relationship to Him. That's your summary from Genesis through the four Gospels, if you will. Then he follows it with two four statements. So think of it kind of like the therefore. He's continuing to build his thought process. You don't want to lose the fours and separate them from the therefore. So holding all of that together, the two four statements, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death so he's building on that whole thing Adam and Christ and he says now we know these things and so here's the good news first of all you're free from the law uh, you, you have the law of the spirit of life and you are free from the law of sin and death second thing for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do in other words the law. He's not saying that the law itself is weakened, that there's a problem or a fallacy in the law. He's just simply saying that you and I cannot follow the instructions, the Torah, the law, because of the, what's going on in the flesh. We talked last week extensively about this whole idea of the programming of the flesh, of how our body learns to do things so that we're a whole body. We are not just a spirit or a disembodied spirit someday in the great by and by, but that there is a physical resurrection in which uh, we will be put back together, new body along with the new spirit. will be body, soul, and spirit, a whole person, not a phantom or a ghost. Not sitting on clouds and playing harps. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so... Then, from here, he's saying, since, the, since we are now enabled, uh, then we can do these things. And that points us to the end of Romans 8 when we get down to verses 31 through 39, who talks about the question things, right? So we get down to that, cha- that end of the chapter, often quoted out of context, often stripped from its larger context. Of the rest of the letter who can separate us and then we develop all kinds of theological ideas around that that actually have nothing to do with Paul's point it goes back to this for the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death and because of what God has done what the law could not do because of the flesh now you are able to do in the spirit of God that's why he says how can these things then separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus he's saying it's not possible because now you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live differently there's an expectation but we'll get there later because it's a long chapter all right, so for our purposes today, in that opening paragraph, we're told that those who belong to Messiah are free because of that new life in Messiah, and that the condemnation of the, the sinful and the rescue of the children of Abraham, which includes us, the entire scope and sequence is in agreement with all that Torah teaches. Let me say that again. I I, I want you to listen because paul is not anti the law paul is not teaching that the law is bad everything leading up to that point is in agreement with what the torah teaches can i just remind you that it says that when they were teaching the gospel and they were going through and you're going through the book of acts and they're teaching people and it says and they taught them all that the scriptures said about messiah they were not teaching them the New Testament. You know how I know that? It hadn't been written. Paul was in the middle of writing a lot of it. He'd be in Corinth and he's writing a letter to these people. He'd be over here in, in, in this jail over here and, you know, with the Philippians. And he'd write these people back over here that he'd left behind. And, and, and so it, this, it's being written, but it's not written. So how did they have everything they need? When Paul says that within the Scriptures we have everything we need for life and godliness, and yet he wasn't referring to the New Testament yet. Because Paul is making the point here that everything he's teaching agrees with the Torah. It doesn't disagree with it. Now, if that surprises you, let me remind you this. You and I are children of Abraham by faith. Children of Abraham by faith. We were reading about that early on in the book of in this letter right here. We were reading about how we are children of Abraham by faith, not by bloodline, but by faith. You could, I guess, make the argument by bloodline because Jesus' blood. But any okay. So, nonetheless, I'm sorry. I digress. I, I just I can't resist wordplay. But. Um, In the story of Abraham being justified by faith, where is that story? Now, you could say, well, it's in the letter to the Romans. Well, okay, but when Paul was referencing it for the very first time, what was he referencing? He was referencing Genesis. Okay, let's see. Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. First five books. That's the law. That is Torah. That is the instructions. The foundation on which everything, including your Christianity, is built. If you don't have Torah, you don't have most of the New Testament. The book of Deuteronomy is the most quoted book in all of the New Testament. Did you know that? Deuteronomy, which means the second giving of the law deuteronomos so here we have the foundations and he's saying listen this is not in agreeing with anything what he's telling us and he's pointing back to what abraham discovered was that salvation rescue comes by faith by that right relationship he entered into covenant by faith he believed god he entered into covenant and he was justified by his faith not by the works of the law that's what pharisees teach sometimes pharisees are in churches hello Not saved by the works of the law, but instead saved justified by faith. In other words, what I'm telling you is that the Torah never taught that you are saved by doing these things. It says that you are saved by faith in God alone. Hello? You know, you might get this idea that like the whole Bible is on the same page. Crazy as that might sound. Which also means that the unchanging God did not scrap His plans in the Old Testament and go, wow, what am I going to do now? I guess I'll punt and send Jesus. And yet I have heard that taught from the pulpit. You know how I know I've heard it taught from the pulpit? Not only have I heard it by sitting there, but I've heard it because I used to teach it. Hello? Hello? And so this idea that the unchanging God who looked through the hallways of time and Ephesians 1 tells us that he purposed us in Christ Jesus says, and if I go back to Genesis chapter 3 and the promises he made in that moment, it means that God knew from the beginning to the end. I think that's what all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful means. That God was not taken by surprise. At no point did he go, Oh, myself! I didn't know they were going to eat the fruit. If that's your God, I'm sorry, but you have a really small God. I wouldn't worship him either. Or you and I... Read from Ephesians 1, and it says that before the foundations of the earth were laid. That means before Genesis chapter 1, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Before that, when you go all the way back, the first time he said, you know what, I think I'm going to make mankind. Ooh, there's going to be a bumpy road, because if I make them in my image... They're going to have abilities and powers and things, and they're not going to be ready to handle it. And this is going to be a long process. might take a few millennial to work this out. But I'm going to teach them through hardship, suffering, difficulty, trial, and even by them running up against one another and working this thing out like iron, grates on iron. I will teach them, and I will form a people for myself to dwell with me forever. Not, oh wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. So here we are, and God fulfills His plan in the Old Testament through the family of Abraham, which happens to include somebody named Jesus, the Son of God, who is also the Son of Abraham in the flesh, the Son of David in the flesh. And then that salvation, that rescue, would include all who are sons of Abraham by faith, which would include those of us who have confessed Christ and, had, and, and He has become our Savior. Anyone who is counting on the rescue of Jesus you are children of Abraham by faith. That also happens to include children of Abraham who are children by bloodline like the Apostles but the point being that we are children of Abraham and that God's original plan that he foresaw before he laid the foundations that he pointed to in Abraham and brings Abraham as it were as you read through Genesis and you let it unfold all the way the problems happened and how Abraham is becoming the, the solution which crescendos in Christ but Abraham becomes the gateway him to do all that he promised because god is faithful god is faithful so do you see how it's building this whole thing together we don't want to lose any of the pieces we don't want to miss the richness and the fullness of all that's in this but so then drawing on the imagery of adam and christ the the, the tension between the passions of the flesh and the leading of the spirit that we were talking about last week and 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 we talked about how if we leave out if we live out of fleshly passions rather than putting our bodies in submission to the spirit of God within us then we'll not be able to please God we will not be able to do what is right and just we'll just be at the mercy of our old programming that brings us into this part of the letter however if we put the flesh into submission through very practical applications of spiritual disciplines. He's not using that word. I'm using that word. I'm just articulating what it is that he's talking about. We will then be able to get a handle on our weaknesses. I'm not saying you're going to eradicate them. I'm saying you're going to get a handle on them you're going to the 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 direction that's what repentance means i'm turning away from the old and turning toward the new and in that turning like there is something that happens the spirit of god is at work within me and i am changing i'm ever moving toward and occasionally i have to repent again just because i start to lose you know i'm like the youtube guy you know and and i start to lose my my focus, and I'm turning back. I'm turning back. I'm constantly moving toward that. And what happens is then the overall trajectory of my life becomes one of righteousness and walking with God in the Spirit. Not that I don't ever stumble, fall, make a mistake, or anything like that. I don't eradicate because I still have this old body for the time being. If we, in contrast, however, so, well, let me finish that. So, if we get a handle on our weakness, then, by the Spirit of God, we can do, holistically, body, soul, and spirit, what God is calling on us to do. What we could not do, just under the weight of the law itself. In contrast, if we do not discipline the physical body, if we leave it to its old programming... It will dominate our spirit man and that's what happens to a lot of people is they come to uh, faith in Christ and then they do not practice spiritual disciplines. They're waiting for the magic wand. They're waiting for voodoo Jesus to show up and and they're waiting for somebody to poke them and and they're suddenly gonna just change. And then uh, we have a lot of people spending the rest of their Christian walk just like waiting for that magical moment, coming to the altar. Sometimes people come to the altar every week praying that same thing over and over again. I wish that I didn't. I wish that I didn't. I wish that I didn't. That constantly in this place of just sense of disappointment and asking the questions sometimes quietly other people publicly deconstructing their faith on the internet with which they get rebuked by the very same people who are struggling with the very same thing what is it about that why do we when someone else is deconstructing in public we feel the need to shame them and ridicule them all while internally we're going through the same stuff and not being honest about it hello I think that's the definition of hypocrisy Anybody here a hypocrite, don't raise your hand. It ought to be everyone in the room. Me too. Maybe not on that particular point, but I've got plenty of points. If you really want to know, you could ask my wife. No, I don't. Please don't. <laughs> I cannot do the good I want to do. I want to do these right things. Fleshly programming's in the way. The flip side being verse 12, but if you train your body to do what the spirit man wants, that is then putting to death the deeds of the flesh. That is the definition of putting to death the deeds of the flesh. It is whenever I begin to practice those spiritual disciplines and I am working out very intentionally, very methodically, working through those things by the power of the spirit. If you just do it in your own strength, you will be very disappointed. Remember, I've told you the story multiple times about, you know, a Bible teacher who could quote the first and the verse before and after. You quoted any verse in the Bible, he could quote to you the verse before and after. He knew the Bible down pat in his favorite version, which I'll leave off, I'm just not even going to talk about. But he would quote that, and, and yet there was just like, when you were talking to him, you would be like, where is the Spirit of God? where is kindness where is mercy where is where is justice for the broken and and for the wounded and like where's that kind of stuff and it just was absent because he had a very strong self-will hello and there's a lot of people like that that's what leads to self-righteousness well, why can't everybody else do what I do? Why don't you memorize the Bible like I memorize? Why don't you fast as long as I do? Why don't you this? Why don't you that? And then maybe, have anybody here you have ever felt under the judgment gaze of somebody else because they are so spiritual? Hello? It's, it is the most defeating thing. So, here we go. We're talking about, I begin to... De- practice these disciplines, they're working in me, and I'm changing, and, it's a, a, and it is a, a process. And sometimes I have like explosions where the, something sinks in deep, and I like grow greatly. Like when I first became a Christian, there was huge changes just in my mouth. You know what I'm talking about. But also in my sense of compassion, I can just tell you, I am not naturally a compassionate person. I am naturally the person who goes, so? That's my flesh. My flesh says, so? It is the Spirit of God in me. When people say, oh, you're so compassionate, that's the Spirit of God. Okay, I just want to tell you, trust me in this. I know what goes on in here. As God's children, then we live a life led by the Spirit Man, not by the old man. And then he references chapter six, for we did not receive a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of sonship. You're not a slave anymore. He's referring back to, if you'll remember in that chapter, if you haven't, let me encourage you to go back and read it later this afternoon. Don't read it right now, because you'll be like you'll you'll you completely lose what we're talking about now. But in there, he was contrasting Adam and Christ. He also was contrasting being free and being a slave, all built on the same thought process of whatever you are submitted to, that's what you're a slave to. You're either a slave to Christ or you're a slave uh, to sin and death. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. Right there is, He's breaking down this whole thing, painting this picture for us. And he says, Now, I want you to know that you don't have to be in submission to the spirit of slavery any longer, but you can be a son. Now, for those who have not heard me say this, I'm going to say this again because I can't say it enough. If I can be the bride of Christ, ladies, you can be the son of God. You can be a son in Christ. So sonship has to do with Roman law and adoption law and a way of putting someone first in the family. So if I have six boys and and the oldest is set to inherit, and I think, man, I do not want him to inherit, but my youngest son seems to do all the things that I want him to do. In the case of Roman law, I can adopt him and now he is the firstborn and he gets a new identity and he now becomes the sole heir and everybody else gets nothing. So if he yesterday murdered somebody, today he cannot be charged with that crime in Roman law. You know why? Because he is the son of... And he has a new identity. He is a wholly new person, has a new legal status, and he is an heir of something that he was not before. Anybody here want to be the son of? Hello? Yes, you do. You want to be the son of. You want a new identity. You do not want to be charged with the crimes of the old man. You want to be in that place where you are the receiver of all of that inheritance, you're no longer in, a, a, under the spirit of slavery, but of sonship. And the results are this. Number one, you know God as Abba. Yeah. You can pray like that. Yeah. It is not irreverent. You don't have to pray, sir. You can. I just can't remember the last, you know, like when my father was alive, I called him, sir, sometimes out of respect. But I can tell you that whenever my heart was broken, I didn't go in, sir. I went in and said, Dad. Can I just tell you, like nothing touches my heart more than my, when my grandson Trey says, Papa, whole world can just stop right now. Everything else can be silent. Everything else can rage on. It doesn't matter. Yes. Knowing God as Abba Second, not being trapped by our fears. Now, I don't just mean our fears in the world, although it includes that, but not being trapped by our fears, how we're going to relate to God, our relationship with God, all the, all the things that just constantly pull at us and nibble at us and tell us we're not good enough, we're not capable, we're not whatever. You, you name the fears. All of those things then are laid at the foot of Jesus and then we are set free by the power of the Spirit of God and by our identity in Him that we have this confidence. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because your rod and your staff are with me they comfort me in the midst of that but even if those things come even if hardship even if trial even if suffering comes my way i'm still confident in your love and that ultimately this life is fleeting these light and momentary problems are a fleeting thing because of pressing on to that which is heavenward in christ jesus So we didn't receive a spirit of slavery, but we get to know God as Abba. We are not trapped in fear, and we have God's power for living. Do you want that? Now there's that last point that he says that seems to upset the apple cart because most people, like whenever they're quoting that passage, they leave that part out, which isn't helpful. Or they get hyper-focused on it, and that is that whole thing about suffering. Sonship and suffering go together. Wait a minute, Pastor. (laughs) I don't think you understand. I joined the church where all I do is I pray a 10-second prayer, and then my life is easy from now on. Well... You might have joined that, but that doesn't mean anything. You might have believed another gospel. I don't mean that in a condemning way or anything else. I'm just simply saying that the reality is that if we're real sons, we also know the sufferings of Jesus. Now before you go into panic mode, uh, can I just remind you, back in chapter 5 we talked about this in depth. If you weren't here, let me give you just a little quick clue in. Paul was talking about being not not necessarily being crucified or something like that, although it could involve that, but in the simple fact that in this life we have many troubles, everyone goes through suffering, trial and difficulty, hardship and, and, and everything else. Everyone, nobody escapes. It is 100%, just like mortality. Everybody goes through those things, and you can do it by yourself, or you can do it with the power and the presence of God. But here's the thing, is that he's wanting them to understand is that if in the midst of those sufferings and trials and difficulties that you deny him, that now you have a problem. Now, I don't say this in a condemning way. please hear me very carefully. When you find yourself in trial and hardship and difficulty, and there, a lot of times it is really easy to think in that moment, well, God, if you're not going to, then... God, if that's how you deal with me, then... Almost everybody's had a thought like that at some point or another. And what Paul is reminding them in the midst of this, especially with what Rome is going to go through in a very short order after this... What he will go through himself in short order in Rome uh, after this is that the realities of suffering, difficulty, hardship in this life come to bear and, and he's saying, do not deny him. The scripture is very clear. If you will not confess me before men, I will not confess you before my father. And I would say to all of us that when we find ourselves in those hardships and difficulties, if you will not endure with him, he will not endure with you. I know that's a problem for later on in Romans. We're going to get to that. But I gave you a hint today that that I don't think actually has anything to do with security. That's a long discussion. But if we know the sufferings of Christ, He knows us and the model, the model is Jesus. right? We say that all the time. I want to be like Jesus. I, I want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Uh, you know, except for that part where he suffered. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't want that part. And we go, and, and then we can make theological, well, you don't have to go to the cross because Jesus went to the cross. Absolutely. But the reality is, is that the, the whole scope of his life was not just him going to the cross is the, not the only place he suffered, hello, uh, and, and that the realities of this world and of this life came in on him, and he knows all of our sufferings and yet was without sin. Uh, He knows what it's like to do this life. And so Paul pointed to Jesus as as the model of normative life with God. Suffering is normal, not abnormal. And if there's nothing about life's hardships that are worth comparing to the reward or to the benefit of following Christ, he says nothing, absolutely nothing. But here's the thing. Just as I'm getting to the good part, where we're about to dig into cosmology and eschatology and redemption and creation, and we need to stop because I'm already over, way over. So, I hope that's an incentive for you to come back next week. All right, so, you know, as I've been praying about this weekend, um, and we're, I, I just feel like this whole thing of, of sonship, in the face of trial and difficulty, is so difficult. Uh, I, I think most of us, like we we hear a word like sonship, and yet, um, uh, oftentimes we feel powerless. Uh, oftentimes we feel uh, unable to deal with the trials and the things that are coming our way. Uh, we do tend toward an, an escapist mentality. If I could just get out of here and get to heaven, right? And and uh, and I, there's some tru- truth truth about that to some level, but. Can I just tell you that the, the, the primary message is that these things are shaping us and purchasing for us a harvest of righteousness. And so what you and I need to do is to learn how to live in that place of sonship in spite of the trial and the difficulty, not just in spite of it, but actually is the overflow of it, that it is shaping us and, and preparing us for an inheritance uh, for, uh, to reap uh, righteousness, to reap the power and the presence of God. It is purchasing for us something that is uh, absolutely sweet and necessary that is part of the great gift. This whole thing, it's not about getting past it. It's not just trying to get away from it. It really is centered. That's the place where, in the crucible where where, where the real things are forged, where the real faith is forged in Christ, is right there in the midst of suffering and difficulty and trial and hardship and the power of God. You want to see the power of God on display? Put your life in the same place that the apostles did. Not one of them escaped. All the time, I would like to be an apostle. Okay, well, can you live the apostles' life? Can you drink, as Jesus said, the cup that I'm about to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to receive? He was referring to his death. And so there is something very real, very powerful about you and I engaging life on the terms as it's handed to us. As my son said to me a few weeks ago, if I had all the power of God, Man, would things change. But if I had all the wisdom of God, nothing would. Nothing. So, if you're here today and trial, difficulty, health, circumstances, whatever, if you're here today and you just found yourself maybe doubting your sonship or questioning, what does it mean to be a son? If there's any sense within you, like at this moment where you go, man, I... I I don't, I don't know that that transformative power and all. I, I, or maybe you just, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I just don't know if I'm saved. I know I confessed him and everything, but I just nothing's changing. If you're doubting your sonship, let me first say to you in the latter words of Paul, nothing in all of creation can separate you from your sonship, nothing. It doesn't separate you from the love of God in Christ. I think we're supposed to overcome those things, and I will talk about that more, but, but right now, I just want to tell you that you, nothing has separated you from His love. Second, I want you to feel s- safe and free from being judged because everybody in this room has moments where they're doubting their sonship, doubting their salvation. I know we can be religious and tell people, oh, I've never doubted my son." I'm going to call it bull. Everybody has moments where they're doubting. Everybody has moments where they're in pain. And so you're free from being judged. So let me invite you to take the extraordinary step of just standing up at you this morning. If there's any question in your mind about sonship, about your place with the Lord, if you are doubting yourself in any way, let me just invite you to just to go ahead and, and stand to your feet so that we can pray for you. And as we're just waiting for folks, like, be, be looking around the room and I want you to find Those who are standing, in just a moment, I'll release you to go pray with them, but I I just, I'm asking as you approach them, would you make sure and approach them with a humility of heart that you are a fellow traveler? You don't have all the answers. You're just coming to pray with them. Let's just give it a, just one more moment here. All right, <clears throat> since we are significantly over, here's how we're going to do this. I want to invite you to go and, and pray with them. If it's appropriate with them, if they're all right with it, you lay hands on them and pray for them. If you've got kids in Kids Church, let me invite you to go get your kids because we are so over and I, I want to honor them. But uh, find the person in the room that's standing and then go to them, if you would please, right now. So Father God, we we come before you right now for the sake of our brothers and sisters in whom we've locked arms, that we have been identified with this body and and are identified as uh, sons of God along with them, that we've been called in your kindness and your mercy to do life together, to encourage one another, to build one another up. And so Father, we just pray right now that our hearts would be tender to them and that they would sense the assurance of the body of Christ, that those prayers that are being poured out over them right now would fill them, would strengthen them, would encourage them. Lord, we're asking for more of your power and presence in their life, not because there's any lack in you, but Lord, as they've doubted, as they've had concerns, they've worried, and the enemy has stolen uh, things from their heart, stolen their sense of expectation, Lord, we just ask that you would shore that up now through the prayers of the saints. Just strengthen them, Lord. More, Lord, more of you. More of your power and presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And you just go ahead and keep praying. Just doing that, I'm going to ask prayer team members, go ahead and if you come on up. And so for anybody else, uh, if you have something that you're needing prayer for this morning, we've got prayer team members that would be happy to pray with you about uh, uh, anything else that maybe is going on with you. Um, uh, and I uh, want to encourage you to get some prayer this morning. Otherwise, I hope to see you next week, Lord willing. Have a great week. God bless. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you did, there's two things you could do for me. First, subscribe to our channel. That way the most recent podcast will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted you, would you help us to continue to reach others by clicking on the link in the description to give now. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to The Empowered Word.